This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. This morning, we are pleased to welcome Senate President Ron Kochi to talk about where things stand so far this session. We're a month into uh, the legislative session with bills approaching the first decking and first crossover deadlines. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. You know, we did solicit uh, questions from our listeners, and one listener I talked to said, you know, I don't know uh, the Senate president, but he was moved by your speech during opening day. You know, you talked about how you just lost your dad and that he was always there as a guiding force for you. Uh, you could go to advice uh, to, you know, to ask. Um, and he got you on the path to public service. Well, unvarnished advice. <laughs> okay. uh, whether you wanted to hear it or not, okay. he would tell you the the truth, and uh, so it's so valuable to have people in your life who aren't just trying to tell you what you want to hear or trying to butter you up, but uh, try to keep your compass heading in the right direction. And and so how does that uh, perspective, you know, uh, change how you look at things this session? You know, because we're talking about quality of life issues as, as this package that, that uh, you folks have... have uh, you know, made a united front on to tackle these economic issues. Well, I, I just think I'm more empathetic. Uh, you know, my wife lost both of her parents in the last four years, and while you feel loss, it's still not your parent. And so, um, you know, I certainly know better how people feel. Uh, certainly there's an initial feeling of maybe being a little rudderless because, you know, they were always there to help you, help guide you, and, uh, you know, you need to make your way. And, uh, you know, it's been long enough uh, that I understand that his ultimate wish would be for me to do the best job I can. And then certainly I can still hear him in the back of my head saying, do not shame the name. Okay. Uh, The other thing, though, that's more important uh, with the Alice report coming out, uh, I realize now... Uh, that my parents divorced in 1971. I was a freshman in high school. Uh, My mom was a bank teller at First Hawaiian Bank, not a high-paying job, and my dad, as a police officer, it wasn't a high-paying job back then either. And, uh, you know, so I realized we would be in that uh, single-parent household, and uh, income-wise, we were... Uh, certainly challenged, although, you know, when you look back, you never thought that you were poor. Uh, We always had food on the table, you know, we always uh, were well-dressed and everything else. Uh, And then uh, in, before my junior year, my mom bought her first house, or our first home, and it was a federal program where the mortgage was based on her salary and only a certain percentage. So without assistance from government, then we would have never owned our first home. Uh, She worked hard. My dad uh, sacrificed as well. So my brother, my sister, and I all were able to attend college and have the opportunity to pursue a better life. And, you know, I'm very grateful for everything that we did, but when we talk about some of the struggles facing families today, well, you know, I realize now certainly I'm a product of, uh, you know, coming up that way, and I realize that through quality uh, public education that, uh, you know, you can create those opportunities. And the second is having rented for so long, uh, you know, it was 960 square feet of thin walls, uh, but it was our home. And I still know the feeling of pride that we got walking in, and now we could say we own our house. And, and so that's why, uh, you know, I'm certainly passionate about the package. Uh, you know, in the package, there's been criticism over the $13 minimum wage, uh, you know, over four years going from 10.10 to $13. They talk about 15 and $17 and all of these studies saying, what do you need to make a living wage? But they're discounting the fact that we're putting in an earned income tax credit, that we're putting in a tax credit on food. And 
to get to the 15 to $17 number, they added up all of the cost items that uh, working families have to deal with and how much they would need. And uh, by adding in some of these tax credits, then we're reducing expenses to those families. We're trying to get that affordable housing package in. Cost of housing is the most expensive item. Right. Now, one of the questions that we had from our um, listeners, uh, you know, was about the minimum wage. And, uh, you know, are there, can you talk at all about the differences that there might be between the House and the Senate? Well, at, at this point, we're moving forward the package that's looking at $13 as the top and with other tax credits. Uh, another large expense item is childcare. So while the primary focus of the uh, goal to get to universal pre-K is based on the fact that it's clear if you go to pre-K, you're going to be more successful in school, in elementary, in high school, and potentially college. But it goes beyond just having better students and test scores. If we get to the point where all three and four-year-olds are in school, then that relieves those working families of the obligation to find and pay for childcare. So that takes another expense item off of their plate while at the same time better preparing their children to go to elementary school and high school and hopefully success later in life, getting that uh, housing in. Uh, you know, Then we think the overall package, the $13 minimum wage, would work uh, better. Well, you know, we have been talking about universal preschool for I don't know how long, you know, uh, and it's just taken such a long time to really make an impact because, you know, we're talking child care, and that's like, what, you know, $9,000 or more a, month, uh, a year, you know, in cost. And uh, the Alice report we should mention, you know, talks about, you know, families here are income constrained. And when you say, oh, yeah, I make $70,000, and they said, yeah, well, that's, that you're in the poorhouse here in Hawaii. Yeah. That doesn't go very far. And and that's why I think the, the overall package is important because it helps reduce uh, costs, but it more importantly invests in people. And over the last several years, we have uh, supported the Promise program where you get free community college. Uh, now we're trying to expand it to the four-year campuses. Hopefully those bills will succeed so that Uh, Not having enough money is not an obstacle to attaining higher education. We have used early college where we have college instructors go to high school campuses, and now these students are able to get college credits. So it achieves two things. If you get some of the credits, you either can reduce your costs when you get to college because you've got all these credits. You maybe can reduce the workload that you need to take so you can uh, focus and be there at 12 hours versus 15, 16 hours of credits and help ensure success. But more importantly, for those who did not think they could go to college, this is the opportunity for them to sit in a college classroom, sit with a college instructor and realize that you can do this. You know, it's not out of your reach and we are getting a significant amount of first in the family uh, going to college by having the early college program. And then with less um, fanfare, we have uh, Running Start where we have high school students going to the community college campuses or uh, university and getting credits while they're still in high school. And we had that exciting story last year about that first group uh, who had been doing this for four years at Waipahu High School. And because of the community college graduation date being before the high school graduation date, you know, they wound up having their associate's degree before they got their high school diploma. Yeah, that's amazing. That, yes. that really is amazing. And I know this week we uh, did see uh, big hearings on the um, uh, early childhood uh, child care uh, bills and the, uh, the bills related to the DOE facilities agency, I guess, that's supposed to look at repairs. Uh, the backlogs of repairs and, and new construction in schools. Um, where do you sit on, on those issues? Well, we've struggled in trying to get the facilities done in a timely basis. We're hopeful with uh, dedicated 
staff simply to do this job and not the overall DOE mission. We're going to be more successful at getting these uh, facilities, the R&M backlog caught up. The other thing that's important is they're talking about maybe seeing a slowing of the economy in 2021-2022 with the investment that we're uh, committed to make in the capital improvement side we are also trying to make sure that we can try to maintain a stronger economy that we don't have those uh, you know negative impacts of the slowing economy so we're still seriously considering how do we improve our prison facilities we're looking at Aloha Stadium and having uh, you know that built and uh, so when you look at our overall capital improvement budget and the commitment to affordable housing uh, you know, we certainly hope that uh, as we make these improvements to the quality of life of our residents, we're also going to ensure that we have a strong, vibrant economy that can support all of these programs we're putting in place. Uh, talking about the economy, you know, we are concerned about what's happening with this uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, and, uh, you know, what's the contingency plan if the Japanese stop coming here, like what we saw with SARS. Uh, are you concerned at all that we won't have enough money in our coffers to fund the programs that were? Uh, yes. That we would like the short to answer is yes. <laughs> yes, and that's always been the, you know, critique of being so reliant on tourism that whether it's uh, airline strike, uh, something like the coronavirus, when the Persian Gulf War came and. The Japanese Tourism Ministry had said it's not appropriate for us to be lying on beaches in Waikiki while uh, American men and women are sacrificing their lives in the Persian Gulf. So they were they stopped coming. Uh, so that that's always important. But on the first side, where we're primarily concerned about public health and safety, there's so much dis- disinformation being spread out on social media, we just still encourage everyone to check with the Department of Health website. We've still not had any confirmed case here, uh, and uh, no one has tested who's been here in Hawaii uh, positive for the coronavirus. So, uh, you know, try to get accurate information. We don't want to see any kind of public panic that's created out there, and uh, the Department of Health is uh, routinely or daily updating their website with the information. They are holding press conferences as frequently as uh, they feel necessary to make sure they're getting out the correct information for everybody here in Hawaii, and uh, hopefully if we do a good job on that, uh, you know, that won't have that negative tourism impact. But certainly that's a possibility, and, uh, you know, we just need to be cognizant of that as the bills move forward, and we're looking forward to the Council of Revenue report in March. A year ago, we went from uh, 4.2 revenue projection in January to 3, 3% growth rate in uh, March, and that meant uh, over $70 million less for us to work with, and so there were some really hard choices that we had to make, and only to have the council come back in June and say, oh, well, you know, we're going to collect at 5%. But we made hard choices. We uh, already were out of session, and so to the extent the governor could uh, fix some of the some of the things he did. Otherwise, you know, that's part of having the money available to look at things like the earned income tax credit, the food sales tax credit to invest in affordable housing, universal pre-K, and, uh, you know, the overall programs in the package. And we did see a record number of uh, tourists come, you know, with 10 million uh, is what we're talking about. And we saw the problems with vacation rentals. You know what it's like on your island, Maui, you know, here on Oahu. Uh, So... uh, you know, it's, it's obviously something to, to watch to see, uh, you know, how that impacts our bottom line. But it's also um, unprecedented with hitting the 10 million. I've been 
Uh, I've served on the County Council from 1983 to 2002 when we're trying to build up our visitor industry to get some of uh, the better hotels and bring more business to Kauai. But across the state, everybody in the visitor industry for the first time, they're asking carrying capacity questions. You know, what, how many tourists can we actually sustain? Right, how much is too much? Right, how do we ensure that those who are coming continue to get the quality experience that everybody else used to have when they uh, came to Hawaii? And you never heard the visitor industry asking these questions before, but it also gives me hope that we will now work universally as a community together to get to these answers. One of the examples was a part plan for Anini Beach or Ka Beach on Kauai. And uh, DLNR had worked with the community for three to five years. They couldn't come to a solution when the flooding occurred and the area cut off. We were getting two to three thousand visitors a day and we've now put a limit at 900. We now have a shuttle in place. The way cars were illegally parked, if you had a medical emergency, the emergency vehicles could not get to you to help you. And now, you know, the roadway is cleared, the park is manageable, and we're not overtaxing the resource by having too many users at one time there. Right. So the, those natural disasters really help to hit the pause button. Uh, cooler heads prevail to say, okay, what what is sustainable? You know, what should we, what kind of limits should we have on uh, on tourism? And usually great people say, um, say the same thing, maybe a little differently. In the disaster, all I saw was the opportunity. And so fortunately on Kauai, while it was devastating with the floods, yes, you know, they took advantage of the opportunity, looked at what was happening, and we've come up with a plan that... Uh, most of the community has embraced, and it seems to be working well. Uh, Ways and Means was on the island of Kauai in November, and we went out to visit Ka Beach and talked to the people involved in uh, what was happening there, both community and DLNR personnel, and uh, we left very happy with the report we got and what we saw happening. I had the opportunity to be on Kauai recently to talk to a number of farmers. Uh, is there anything that you personally would like to see uh, to help our uh, farming industry, help me, to help you know boost our agriculture? Uh, for the past three years, I've talked every opening day about first farm to school and now farm to state. We have 100,000 meals a day that the DOE produces. We have state hospitals. Uh, and we have uh, the state corrections facilities. If we simply buy more local food for these three uh, segments that are under state control, I am confident we're going to more than double the ag production. There's been a lot of talk about how do we double ag production. Well, first of all, by having the state of Hawaii start getting locally produced fresh food on plates for our students, our patients and our inmates is a great first step and I think we will revitalize the ag industry. But isn't part of the problem that we don't have any good numbers as to what we actually produce here? Uh, you know I guess I saw like on the big island when we had you know the, the lava inundation and, and all the flooding over there and and the Department of Agriculture didn't really have a good number of, of okay well how are the papaya farmers faring? I mean well, we've committed resources to the Department of Ag to fill some positions also in the Department of Education. And so we're working in getting uh, what the farmers out there are doing, also getting the information about what the Department of Education would need in school cafeterias. And we're trying to make the marriage work so that they are growing what we need. They understand what we need. So... Uh, they're not growing something that we're not going to purchase. The other thing that the prisons have done uh, is on the Big Island, they've bought 55,000 off pounds of off-grade papayas. And they aren't pretty, so they can't go in the market or on a plate in the hotel. But they're going to cut the papaya up, serve the papaya. It's perfectly 
fine to eat, still great tasting. And now what was a waste product for the farmer, he's getting some revenue, so it's helped him become more successful there. And they have bought uh, several, there are four other items, I can't recall each one off the top of my head that they've been purchasing on the Big Island that are the off-grade byproduct of what they normally sell and has added to the farmer's bottom line. Farming is hard. So if we can get them to be more profitable, uh, then we can encourage more people to farm. And farming is not what we know today. It's such a technologically advanced uh, operation that there's so many ways for us to be better and have even higher yields than uh, what we used to have in the past. I know on Kauai, there was an effort by Ulupono to start up a dairy. Um, they pulled back from that. And, you know, at one time, Hawaii had, you know, what, more than 30 dairies operating. And, and then we saw the Big Island, uh, you know, go under. And it, it's just a shame that we can't produce our own milk here. And I think there was a suggested better site in the community. Uh, that site was not available and uh, may have found better, uh, you know, resonance. But as we have developed, and the population has grown to cite the agricultural endeavors. There needs to be uh, better community engagement and working together to find out where these uses would be appropriate. Okay, and switching gears, we did have some of our uh, listeners uh, uh, post some questions. Uh, we have a question here. Uh, please ask uh, the Senate President what he thinks about banning flavored and menthol tobacco and nicotine products. Uh, that was from uh, M. Williamson. Uh, so where do you stand on that? Well, at this point, I uh, have gotten the testimony from those who have used vaping as a method of uh, quitting smoking or at least reducing their smoking. But some of the more recent Uh, data has shown that there are significant health issues that are there. Senator Baker, who chairs the health uh, committee in the Senate, is a passionate uh, advocate for uh, anti or fighting cancer. She's a cancer survivor. So the bill is going to move from the Senate with the ban. We want to keep the conversation going, and we'll see where we end that at the end of session, but for now, I certainly support moving the bill forward, having the conversation continue uh, in spite of some of the uh, concerns about how it may help people uh, stop smoking. I think we need to uh, really take a close look at this. Yeah, it is a concern with so many of Hawaii's young people uh, admitting to using vaping products, and they're just in middle school. Uh, very, very addictive, uh, so something uh, to watch. Uh, another question has to do with mental he- health. Uh, we saw what uh, happened with the shooting uh, at Diamond Head. Uh, there was a gentleman who was being evicted. Uh, he stabbed, uh, we believe he stabbed his uh, landlady and uh, another uh, tenant in the home, and he set the home on fire, and, and uh, basically a whole neighborhood went up in flames. Uh, he had some mental health issues. Uh, uh, so the the listener wants to know that when serious mental health issues aren't addressed, they can end violently. So do legislators want to take more serious measures when it comes to uh, supporting mental health uh, programs that we have? Yes, we do. Uh, more importantly, when the economy took a downturn in 2009 and 10. Significant cuts were made to the state budget in all areas, including mental health. Uh, When we highlighted the uh, homeless issue, it was clear that, uh, you know, drug abuse uh, was a factor. One of the factors was simply just not having enough, even for some working families, to uh, have the money to pay for rent. So we have housing first where we do some assistance uh, like Section 8 so they have uh, that extra $200 so they can get a home. And certainly mental illness was a big part of uh, people being homeless. And so we've started over the last five years to restore mental health funds. Uh, We identified that the uh, facility in Kaneohe was uh, no longer 
safe and operating correctly. We've committed $165 million, I think it is, to build a new facility. It's being built so we can better house and treat mental health patients. And, uh, you know, in the construction area, it just takes time to go through the permitting process and get everything put up. But we have committed significant dollars to do this. And uh, on the island of Kauai, in September of 2017, they had 21 suicides. They ended at 25 or 27 that year. So in the district that I represent, uh, the mental health issues as it relates also to uh, suicide, which really hurts families and communities deeply, uh, has been a big issue. We've been working with Micah Kani and the Hawaii Community Foundation. They've partnered with the County of Kauai, and they have uh, the resiliency program, and that's been ongoing since, since the end of 2017 through today to try and work uh, through these mental health issues. Uh, so it's taking longer than we would have wanted to, but we have committed the dollars to try and make a big impact in the area of mental health services. Uh, we've got a, a couple minutes left. I know there's some concern about the gut and replace bills, but uh, I think people also want to know, uh, are we going to get a resolution to TMT? That's a, a big issue out there and concern over uh, the, the funding for providing security up there. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, um, it's certainly from the lens you look at it, right? Uh, you know, the... Uh, Protectors really feel insulted that that much money needs to put in, be put in for security. And we're uh, respectful and law-abiding, and so why do you need all of that money? Proponents of TMT feel it's important to have uh, money in there to go forward. Uh, the House version that Chair Luke just uh, moved out of the Finance Committee still has a little under $10 million for uh, you know, security there, so it's not zeroed out, but it's also not the $65 million that was placed in various parts of the budget, and, and I don't think that that's what we need. I would certainly like to uh, see us come to some kind of resolution. Uh, you know, it's still important for people to know if they come to Hawaii that they can transact business if they've followed the rules. Uh, what we have learned from TMT uh, is, you know, you need to address the whole community. A lot of the complaints is why do they have a dollar a year lease? Well, the University of Hawaii has telescope time, which is worth millions of dollars to them, but in the end, the benefit goes only to a small community. There should be community benefit impact funds that would have been going to the Big Island community to support cultural activities to perhaps have built community centers that they could have used and support other things. Since about 2008, they've had a community benefit fund for West Kauai uh, because they host the landfill, and right. they've been able to use that money to make positive impacts in the West Kauai community. Okay, well, I guess when people think, oh, $65 million, that money maybe could be used to support other programs. We yeah. we agree yeah. so far. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Senate President Ron Kochi. Uh, very honored to have you in studio today. Uh, next week, Monday, we will sit down with House Speaker Scott Psyche. You got questions to pose? Call our talkback line at 808-792-8217 or email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You are listening to The Conversation on HPR1. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, presenting For You Fabulous, Fashionable Women, woodblock prints featuring women from the Edo period in Japan through March 22nd, honolulumuseum.org. Are you free on February 29th? Because HPR is inviting you to lunch, an HPR members-only lunch, that is, at Kimo's in Lahaina, Maui on Saturday, February 29th. We'll celebrate our new frequency, 103.1 FM, Broadcasting HPR1 to West Maui, Molokai, and Lanai. Enjoy great food, get an update on the station, and enter to win HPR logo items. Space is limited, so get your tickets at hprtickets.org. More than 300 million photographs are uploaded to Facebook every single day. 
pictures of tasty meals and smiling families, pictures of pretty views from the front porch. If you looked only from the porch, you could see mountains. But if you looked to the left, you could see this huge factory. But of course, I didn't take pictures of the factory, because why would you do that? The lives and the lies we perpetuate online on the next Hidden Brain from NPR. Tonight at 7, following says you. Governor David Ige called a news conference after he returned back uh, from back-to-back trips to D.C. for the National Governors Association and from Japan to talk about visa preclearance. And while his meetings were wide-ranging, he also provided updates on his discussions about the COVID-19 virus. He made the case for Hawaii to get those coronavirus test kits from the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, As you know, we have been pushing hard, I have been pushing hard um, on um, being able to develop the ability to test in the islands. Um, Certainly when I was in D.C., I had personal conversations about that and why it was important, and they acknowledge and recognize. You know, we're working um, to be um, a test site for the test kit development. I think, you know, everybody agreed, and they had worked so hard to try and get the test kits to everybody, and they are now taking a step back after two rounds of sending test kits at out and recognizing that not all of them uh, work. They now recognize how different Hawaii is. You know, all the other states and talking to the other governors, they know that when they send a sample uh, that it takes a day to get there and the test takes a day or two and they get the results back in days. Uh, They were surprised and shocked that we would not get a test result back for a week or more. While in Japan, he assured authorities and travel partners that Hawaii was prepared if coronavirus hits here. Governor David Ige also acknowledged the impact the virus has had on Japan's public health infrastructure and its economy. You know, for us, uh, shutting down the the travel between Hawaii and China um, is just a small portion of our visitor industry here. Um, We get less than 200,000 visitors from China, which is um, less than 1% of those who visit the islands. Chinese visitors to Japan make up about 50% of the visitors to Japan. So a significant uh, impact to their economy. And so certainly uh, wanted to share with the government leadership that that we're working here uh, to um, contain the virus, uh, which doesn't exist here yet, um, but certainly are prepared to manage Uh, any situation that should arise. Also had the opportunity to visit the U.S. Embassy uh, and happened to be able, I had already scheduled to meet with Immigration and Custom and Border Patrol there, and they had just completed the evacuation of the U.S. citizens who uh, happened to be on that um, cruise ship that was harbored in Yokohama. Uh, So certainly um, was able to Um, talk about that incident and what they had done, uh, the things that worked and didn't work from their perspective. Uh, Certainly it was um, a difficult situation that they were in, um, but they were able to um, take those U.S. citizens who wanted to um, come back to the United States, uh, they were able to do that. The governor also reiterated uh, Hawaii's statewide response for quarantine and treatment should the virus make its way here? The emergency response plan that we have in place for any of these medical emergencies, uh, every uh, hospital in the state on all of the islands are prepared to isolate and deal with patients who need to be in quarantine and isolated. So we do know on every island in the state. So that is part of the state's emergency response plan. You know, obviously uh, we can handle a certain number of isolations. We are prepared and there is part of the plan that allows us to stand up a hospital uh, that would be in response to any kind of situation. So if we needed 100 people in isolation, that was more than any specific facility would be able to handle. We can stand up an instant hospital. We do have all the equipment and all the procedures in place today. They they are on island that would allow us to do that. So should that become necessary, we would have that capability to respond. 
And as information changes daily, the governor said officials are trying to create a central location for information. Uh, he wants to stop the spread of rumors and misinformation. We are working on uh, establishing a joint information center um, at the Department of Health. Uh, so we're um, trying to uh, gather the resources that would allow us to provide um, accurate information on a more timely basis. As you know, the challenge that we all face is that um, social media is instant and that each and every individual can send anything they want with, um, without any confirmation. And so we would just encourage you to stay connected to the Department of Health. The Department of Health is actively engaged with the Centers for Disease Control several times a day uh, to get um, accurate information. You know, when we get rumors, uh, we try to run them down as quickly as we can because we want you to have uh, the most accurate information. So we uh, appreciate uh, your support and co cooperation in that effort. You know, accompanying uh, David Ige on the Japan trip was Hawaii Tourism Authority head Chris Tatum. He remains in Japan for future meetings about the upcoming Olympic Games. We hope to catch up with him when he returns home to the islands. It is now time for our reality check with our partners at Honolulu Civil Beat. Today, business reporter Stuart Yurton has the latest on the saga of Abigail Cabana-Nicoa and her trust funds. Is she or isn't she competent to make decisions about her finances? Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Catherine. So, yeah, th this has been a bit of a soap opera uh, because, uh, you know, of, of what uh, Princess Abigail Cabana-Nicoa hopes to do with her money, and a lot of it was supposed to go to funding Hawaiian programs and uh, things that would help Native Hawaiians. Well, that's right. And and again, that's really the crux of this, I think, from the point of view of the media, is that this is not a regular person with a, uh, a great amount of wealth um, who is um, facing the possibility of a court saying, uh, you're not com competent to manage your finances. This is someone who's really come out into the public and said, years ago said, I'm going to uh, give a big fortune, at least $215 million um, to uh, Native Hawaiians and Native Hawaiian causes, um, set up a trust for that, what it really amounts to an Ali'i trust. So the issue is, um, does uh, Ms. Kwana Nakoa, many call her Princess Abigail, um, does she have the capacity to manage her finances. So the court's going to do that. The media, we were asking to be able to see the evidence that was uh, presented to the court in this hearing. Evidence like, how much money does she have now? What's been happening to the money? Has it been dissipated somehow? Has someone somehow gotten some of this money that really should be going to uh, the public and to Native Hawaiians? Um, the court said, uh, Judge Ashford said, no, uh, that's all private. It should be private. And uh, we can't really see that. We can't see the medical uh, evidence. We can't see the financial evidence. So the hearing theoretically will be open, but all that's going to be closed. So all those records will be sealed. Yes. And That's exactly right. So, so when is the next hearing? What's the next step? Yeah, so the hearing is, is in March. And again, we, it's possible that members of the media will try to appeal, um, again, try to open this up. So that could be the next step. We haven't seen anything yet. Civil Beat was at the hearing uh, speaking out and saying we think the – uh, information should be public, so is the Associated Press and Hawaii News Now. Um, whether one of these parties decides to challenge the judge's ruling is is uh, up to up to um, or we don't know. But that's could be the next step to find out is that going to be challenged and are 
uh, media organization is going to try to open this up. Right, and, and the concern is that uh, she married recently. She married her partner, and there are folks uh, that had been close to her for many years that were concerned that that somehow her partner was having undue influence uh, over her finances. That's exactly right. And, yes, so she married her spouse, Veronica Gale Worth. Um, there was a report some year, a couple of years ago in 2018 that she— uh, Ms. Kwananakoa tried to make sure that uh, uh, Ms. Worth was going to get something like $40 million to amending the trust. Um, but again, we don't know exactly what's going on, and we could find out um, if uh, in this hearing. That's why we think it's of public interest, and, and we the, in the media have made this argument. Yeah, it's a shame. It has really become a, a real soap opera, hasn't it? All right. Well, thanks so much, Stuart. Appreciate you keeping on top of it. That was reporter Stuart Yurton with today's Reality Check. To read his full story, go to civilbeat.org. This morning, we turn our attention to big tech. Tim Wu is a regular contributor to the New York Times. He's been named as one of the most influential lawyers in America. He's a professor at Columbia and an author of four books. Now, he's in town for a talk tonight at the University of Hawaii as part of the Better Tomorrow speaker series. The theme of the talk tonight, attention hacking, how we have lost all control of our minds. So what's all that about, Tim? Uh, welcome. Great question. <laughs> Actually, it's a, a, the election is a good time to see it in action. Um, you know, one of the things that, that has changed, I think, about life over the last 10 or 20 years is just how intense the competition is for our attention. You know, whether it's public radio, whether <laughs> it's your, your phone, whatever it is, everyone's trying to get a piece. Every candidate wants a, a, a piece of your, of your attention. So that, that's what that talks about, about the techniques that are being used to make you pay attention to stuff. And so, uh, you know, just in your daily life, I mean, how do you, how do you manage it all? Well, it's not easy. Uh, one of my secrets is, uh, I have two secrets. Uh, one is I have two daughters who insist I pay all attention to them. And the other is I try to actually believe it. Even though I live in New York, I try to go out and go surfing. <laughs> <laughs> when you but just came and you had a session in this morning, right? I did. I learned one thing about Hawaii. When people say it's a long paddle, they mean it. <laughs> That's a real thing. No, but I, it's, it's very hard. I, I think if you believe that you can just kind of use your willpower and not look at your phone, you're kidding yourself. If you want to sort of conserve your attention, you, you sort of have to create some rules for yourself, um, you know, like try not to look at your phone when you walk down the street or maybe no phones in the bedroom. you got to have some, like, bright line rules. Otherwise, you're going to get hosed. Yeah, uh, I mean, I just know I, I've actually um – Oh, gosh, I regressed. I mean, I, I can wake up at 3.30 in the morning, and then I'll check my phone, and then someone will be responding, and I'm thinking, what are they doing up at 3.30 in the morning? They're either, you know, up late or up early. But it is hard. You just it, – it's so addicting. Well, I mean, partially it's because they're designed to be addictive. Um, I think there's a – you know, it's you against a, a fleet of very talented engineers who've, who've designed these, these technologies in our life to be addictive. And it really does, uh, it's not easy. And, you know, if you go with the flow, uh, which usually sounds like a good thing, you kind of find out you just spend hours doing nothing. And, uh, you know, maybe that's all right. But I've had this experience, you know, I just want to write one email or something. And then four hours of my life are gone. And, you know, that, that's the kind of thing I'm writing about. Uh, attention has become commodified. It's become the most, one of the most valuable assets in our, our, our time. And uh, my talk is about ways to conserve it and uh, make sure you control your own life. You, you, you talk about hacking in the theme. So, I mean, uh, you know, there, there are all kinds of concerns about our privacy when it, when it comes to, you know, going online. Well, one of the things about privacy is uh, essentially the more that's known about you, uh, the easier you are to manipulate. I don't want to – that's just why everyone wants to know everything about you. And, no, I, I think, you know, when we look back uh, 
maybe 20 years from now, we'll say like, wow, we just sort of gave up everything to everyone, you know, in exchange for a, for a couple, you know, you think about Facebook, I, most of us told everything to Facebook, uh, you know, in exchange uh, for your friends, but, you know, I already had friends. I, I think we're in the midst of, um, I hate to be a downer, but, you know, of an enormous movement of, of what is really assets that belong to us, to, to, to big tech. And I think it's important to resist that. Um, we're just at the beginning of understanding how we can resist it. Now, uh, I imagine your kids are young. <laughs> mm -hmm. My kids are all grown up. But I remember as a parent, I had, had a heck of a time trying to keep ahead of them, you know, when it came to getting on the computer and social media. And, you know, now, I, you know, kids are, are raised with this technology. And and, you know, Apple has kind of run off with their operating system. I mean, it, they're just so, yeah. you know, from, 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 from small kid times, it's amazing. You know, we have a, you know, we throw an iPad in front of them. Yeah, I know. I, I hear you. I, I think that it, it's strange that uh, the challenge of parenting in our time has kind of become a challenge of technology management. <laughs> it's like amazing how, how much that is. And uh, you can tell how. Uh, strong the stuff is by how much kids want it. You know, they, they want it more than, than candy. Uh, I think it's sort of interesting that, or telling that, you know, Steve Jobs and some of these other figures, they would never let their own kids <laughs> use the, the stuff. They, they wanted them focus on something else. And look, I, I'm not going to be that extreme. I don't think it's like poisons your child to watch a video now and then, you know, it's a little bit. But if you, if you don't manage it, uh, it can really get out of control pretty quickly. Okay, so I have to ask, sure. uh, are, do you tweet? Are you on Instagram? Uh, you know, I am also a person who has to promote my books now and then. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I do tweet. I don't use. Uh, I have. I'm on Instagram, but I don't use it very often. And I, I quit Facebook after one uh, one privacy scandal too many. I just sort of felt that I couldn't sort of stay on it in good conscience. What I wish there was, if, if I had you know my Christmas gift or something, is I wish there was a public alternative to Facebook, kind of like public radio is an alternative to, to commercial radio. You know, something that was designed to try and get uh, you in connection with your friends, your family, your, your, your old pals from college, but wasn't also trying to steal all your data, trying to make you buy a new pair of shoes or some vacation. I kind of had a more public-oriented thing. That, that's a big hole. I mean, because social media has become you know, as important as, as radio and television. No one denies it. But it's interesting. We have no public options. You know, unlike in radio and television and even, uh, uh, you know, libraries and so on. Well, I, I know I, I worked for a company and they were, you know, they saw the value of social media and, and they had quotas. You know, you have mm -hmm. to post so many things a day and uh, we own your friends on Facebook. And, you know, so it was just really interesting. And, and I've done a number of interviews with, with people who teach at Apple University and they say, no, they don't do social media. <laughs> you know, so it's really interesting. It's like, well, where are your limits? You know, yeah. uh, I remember asking um, UH President David Lassner, uh, you know, he was an info technology guy before he became president. And I'm like, okay, so do you have a Facebook account? You know, do you tweet? And, and everybody is just real cautious about mm -hmm. what they put out there. Yeah, I mean, let me be the academic for a second and talk and say that we're kind of in the midst of a society-wide conversation about these technologies. And, you know, they've had real effects um, in ways I think nobody predicted. I mean, nobody predicted, I think, that the President of the United States would communicate his policies through Twitter. <laughs> no one predicted that, you know, through Facebook, the Russian government would try and attack an American election. Uh, no one predicted, and I don't totally blame social media for this, but it has created uh, or at least accelerated the divide I in America by showing people what they want to hear more and more and pulling people apart. And I really do think as a country, frankly, as a world, we sort of need to, to take control of this, this thing we've created. And, you know, we created it, I don't think, for evil reasons. We're experimenting. Hey, what happens if you have something like Twitter where you can say, and, and try to figure out what works if we want to have, you know, the kind of society we want to live in. And I think we're just the very beginning of that. I mean, I think we're going to look back at this period, honestly, and be like, what did we let happen? <laughs> Things got out of control. And, you know, the, the kids are just a small part of this. I think that, you know, uh, I, I just think it has proven to be much different than I think anyone expected, say, 20 years ago. And so um, what about uh, 
you know, technology and, you know, at the university level, you know, where, where I mean, it, it, obviously to have internet access at your fingertips is amazing because you've got a whole library, so much available to you on a, you know, minute's notice. You know, it, it, it's just awesome what you can do with the internet, but it is dangerous. <laughs> you know, I think what's interesting, you know, all the old Greek uh, mythologies and stories were always about getting what you wanted. <laughs> and I think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the idea of a network that connected everyone to everyone, you know, nothing could be could be better. And, uh, you know, I worked in Silicon Valley and we had a kind of a libertarian idea. It's just sort of like, let it be, everything will be great. And as long as people can be in touch with each other, um, you know, that, that'll, that'll solve everything, but it has created challenges for almost everything. And I think we have a decade process of trying to understand how to rebuild. I mean, universities, which you just mentioned, uh, the good thing about universities is now you can get whatever you information is available. Um, so it's almost like having a library for the whole world. The bad thing is that, um, you know, classes are, are hard to manage when everyone is sort of surfing the web or fooling around. Um, students, I think have attention span problems. They have trouble focusing, doing their work. Um, you know, I mean, students have always been like that, but I think it's getting harder. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, have you ever noticed yourself, you just sort of, something, a book you would have read or a movie, you find yourself like grabbing for your phone halfway through it? I mean, it's crazy actually, right? It's, I, think it's, I think our brains are getting a little weaker. And that's to me a, a crisis of our times. Okay, well, Tim Wu, Good luck with your daughters. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, again, you will be uh, giving a talk tonight on net neutrality and technology at UH Manoa. Uh, for more information, visit our website at hawaiipublicradio.org. That is it for today. Up tomorrow, it's Shark CSI. Come sleuthing with us across the Pacific. Shark DNA. Who's that stealing my catch? That's what fishers want to know. Tell us what's on your mind. Call our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. You can also email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. We are on Facebook at The Conversation HPR and Twitter at HI Conversation. And if you missed any of our show, head to our uh our webpage, hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.